Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, our third in our mini-series on maternal and fetal infections, we will cover Parvo B19. Parvo B19 is a single-stranded DNA virus that causes the childhood exanthem erythema infectiosum, also known as fifth disease. Children typically demonstrate a facial rash, sometimes similar in appearance to a slapped cheek. In addition, they can have possible fever, body rash, and joint pain. Now, in immunocompetent adults, the most common symptom of Parvo B19 is a reticular rash on the trunk and peripheral arthropathy. Approximately 20% of infected individuals are actually, however, asymptomatic. Another manifestation of Parvo B19 is transient aplastic crisis, which is more common in those with an underlying hemoglobinopathy. Most infections are mild, and most individuals recover completely from Parvo B19 infection and require only supportive care during the acute phase of infection. The transmission of Parvo B19 most commonly occurs through respiratory secretions and hand-to-mouth contact. The infected person generally is infectious 5 to 10 days after their exposure, before the onset of the rash or other symptoms, and is no longer infectious by the time of the rash. Now, in response to infection, IgM and IgG antibodies are produced. The IgM response, which persists for one month to several months, is indicative of a recent infection. IgG antibodies persist indefinitely and, in the absence of IgM, indicate prior infection and lifelong immunity. Prevalence of seropositivity to Parvo B19 increases with age, with 50 to 65% of reproductive age women being seropositive. The risk of maternal Parvo B19 infection varies with the level of exposure to the infected individual. Exposure to a household member infected with Parvo B19 is associated with a 50% risk of seroconversion. The risk of transmission in a childcare setting or a classroom is actually lower, and that's a rate of about 20 up to a max of 50%. After acute Parvo B19 maternal infection, rates of maternal to fetal transmission range from about 17% to about 33%. Now, although most cases of fetal infection resolve spontaneously with no adverse outcomes, fetal Parvo B19 has been associated with spontaneous abortion, hydropes fetalis, and stillbirth. The rate of fetal loss among pregnant women with serologically proven Parvo B19 infection ranges from about 8% to about 17% before 20 weeks of gestation, and it decreases to 2 to 6% after 20 weeks. Now, in utero, Parvo B19 infection can lead to non-immune hydrops fetalis. An estimated 8 to 10% of cases of non-immune hydrops fetalis are associated with Parvo B19. Now, because the virus is cytotoxic to erythroid precursors, hydrops fetalis most often results from aplastic anemia, although hydrops can also be related to myocarditis or chronic fetal hepatitis. 
Severe effects are seen most frequently among fetuses when maternal parvo B19 infection occurs before 20 weeks of gestation. Now, the fetus is particularly vulnerable to disease transmission and severe complications in the second trimester because of the mechanism of viral placental transport and rapid changes in fetal hematopoiesis that occur during this period. So that's a clinical pearl. For parvo B19, the fetus is very susceptible in the second trimester. Stillbirth that results from maternal infection has occurred from one week up to 11 weeks after the maternal infection. However, hydrops is unlikely to develop if it has not occurred by eight weeks after maternal infection. Well, what about long-term issues? Well, long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes are uncertain in fetuses with congenital parvo B19 because not a lot of data exists on that topic. Earlier studies suggested no long-term adverse effects in fetuses with hydropes that have been transfused after maternal infection, whereas more recent studies have suggested an increase in neurodevelopmental impairment among those fetuses with hydropes that underwent transfusion. Don't go anywhere because we come back, we're going to review the methods used to diagnose maternal parvo B19 as well as review fetal workup and management. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, let's get back to the message. Pregnant women exposed to Parvo B19 should have serological screening performed as soon as possible after exposure to determine if they should be monitored for seroconversion. Women who are IgM negative and IgG positive have evidence of previous exposure and immunity, and so they're not at risk for transplacental transmission. Women who are IgM positive, regardless of IgG status, should be monitored for potential fetal infection. Women who are IgM and IgG negative are susceptible to parvo B19 and serological testing should be repeated again in four weeks. Now, if repeat testing demonstrates positive IgM or IgG, these women should be monitored for potential fetal complications. For the fetus, fetal infection can be diagnosed using PCR to detect parvo B19 in amniotic fluid, although tests that measure quantitative serum and tissue DNA viral load do exist, they are not widely available, and qualitative PCR is used to diagnose fetal infection during pregnancy. Now, testing for parvo B19 infection should be considered when ultrasound reveals hydropes fetalis. Pregnant women with acute parvo B19 infection based on serological testing should be monitored for the development of fetal anemia using serial ultrasound. Now, standard monitoring, including assessment of ascites, placental megaly, cardiomegaly, and hydrops fetalis should occur. In addition, Doppler assessment of the peak systolic velocity of the fetal 
middle cerebral artery should be performed in these cases because this measurement has been identified as an accurate predictor of fetal anemia. However, fetal death can still occur even without hydropes fatalis. Serial ultrasonographic evaluation should be done every 1 to 2 weeks for 8 up to 12 weeks after exposure. Now, in the absence of ultrasound evidence of fetal sequelae by 12 weeks after exposure, adverse outcomes related to Parvo B19 are highly unlikely. So that's a clinical pearl. After confirmed maternal infection, serial ultrasound should be done every one to two weeks for up to 12 weeks. And if the fetus is in the clear, then we can rest assured that the baby has not been infected. Now, if hydropes fetalis is present or severe fetal anemia is suspected in the setting of Parvo B19, fetal blood sampling should be performed to determine the fetal hematocrit in preparation for fetal transfusion. Although there is procedure-related risk, intrauterine transfusion should be considered if severe fetal anemia happens to occur. Well, let's get to the end of the podcast by covering quick words about potential prevention. When outbreaks of Parvo B19 infection occur in situations where prolonged close contact exposure can happen, like in schools or homes or childcare centers, options for the prevention of transmission are actually limited. Exposure cannot be eliminated by identifying and excluding individuals with acute Parvo B19 infection. Up to 20% of people are asymptomatic, and those with infection are infectious before they develop symptoms. So that's a dilemma. Exclusion of pregnant women from the workforce during endemic periods is just not recommended. Now, if pregnant women are exposed to individuals who are suspected or known to be infected with Parvo B19, they should report the exposure to their OBGYN so that the physician can order maternal serological testing. Remember that according to the college, routine serological screening of pregnant women for Parvo B19 is not recommended. Given the low incidence of seroconversion during pregnancy, combined with the very variable risk of fetal transmission and subsequent fetal effects, targeted screening for Parvo B19 during pregnancy currently is not recommended either. Now, testing should be performed for patients with symptoms who are consistent with Parvo infection or for those who have exposure and are not yet known to be immune. All right, that brings us to the end of our mini-series covering maternal and fetal infections that were part of the historically called TORCH panel of infections. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.